Ari, welcome to the program. Thank Thanks for being on uh, JBK on air this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time, and we know each other from uh, Carmel High School, CHTV days, <laughs> going back to our roots with the uh, TV program. But today, we're here to talk to you as a clinical mental health counseling grad student. And with the pandemic that we're facing and a bunch of other challenges, uh, mental health is probably something that is on the line of a lot of people. So let's let's go back to high school first. What was some of the what were some of the activities that you did that kind of brought you to where you are now in high school? Yeah. So you know, I really wasn't very involved at Carmel. I had a hard time fitting in, I would say. And um, you know, Carmel's a great school, but it's it's it can be tough. Uh, it always reminds me of Glee. Uh, you know, I think there was a lot of um, different groups and I never could find my stride there, but um, right. But I just kind of got through high school and I would say my decision to pursue counseling has really stemmed from my experience living in Los Angeles. Okay. And during that time in LA, was that when you were doing some modeling or, or no? I mean, what, what kind of brought you to LA coming from Indianapolis. That's, a, that's an adventure for anybody. Yeah. And actually, so I've never actually been paid for modeling. And I know people are always like, oh, really? You know, I just have loved taking pictures. I had a lot of friends growing up that were photographers. And yeah. so we would just kind of shoot together. Um, but I've never worked as a model. I've never quite pursued it. Um, but I moved to LA after going to IUPUI because honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, maybe there's no better time to move to LA and figure it out. And that's what I did. <laughs> did you have any pursuit of wanting to do entertainment? I know that your brother's working on a fabulous uh, series on JFK. Like he's doing tremendous things and we're going to try to get him on the program too. Was there any ambition of being in entertainment? I still think I'd be a great comedian, but that's for another day. <laughs> um, you know, Yes and no. Uh, I think going out to LA is very humbling because right. people are working so hard and entertainment is never something that I felt like I was super passionate about as opposed to like mental yeah. health. But hopefully as I graduate with my master's, I would love to bridge the two. Um, right. So I've thought about a YouTube series and, you know, just some ideas about how can I bridge entertainment with mental health. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, you're, you're one of the best souls that I know, and I'm, I'm glad that we're talking today. And hopefully we can get to the bottom of some mental health problems I've been dealing with because, you know, it being in entertainment, like especially in news and a time of Trumpism and everything else, it's so polarized, the, the environment that, the, that we're in, that I think a lot of people kind of uh, had a difficult time connecting with a group. And that I think that stems a lot of our mental health problems in this country is that there seems to be a lack of belonging uh, among the groups of people. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to that? What's your take on kind of where mental health is in America? Because it was a problem before the pandemic. Yeah, I think you speak on a lot of truths. And I mean, when, when we talk about how politics play a role, like I think I think no party has been a perfect representative of what right. communication looks like. So I think there, you know, I, I can't place blame on one side. Um, but I do think that the pandemic and social media has really exacerbated this narrative of um, judgment 
And I think right. that because everybody has a platform now, it used to only be that people in power could put their opinions out there, which I don't agree with that either, but it does. You've got all these voices and opinions. And um, I think that with isolation from COVID-19, uh, people may be working from home. Um, I know this time has been particularly hard for people that are, um, you know, struggling with addiction. It can be really isolating. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's just, I, I don't think any of us could have imagined we would be living through this. Um, <laughs> so how do you no. prepare for it? We just yeah. have to work with what we got. I mean, thinking back, I talked to Jayla about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that we wouldn't believe where we would be looking back, you know, 10 years, uh, especially with just the what's happened around us. But going back to Carmel, I mean, I, I can't imagine going there now. We'll talk about a different experience of having to do like Zoom classes. And as safe as Carmel is, like there was never a crime problem in Carmel. Carmel is a school that I would be worried about a kid bringing a gun because of the circumstances at home or something else that's that's impacting him, you know, anybody for that reason. Well, and I, and I think there, you know, that can that can be really tough because obviously in America, I mean, gun violence is is just yeah. it's terrible. I worry about that at any school, but um, I think that's why it's so important that mental health services are are offered and available because yeah. uh, a lot of times people that inflict that kind of pain are in a lot of pain. And so we really have to be mindful um, of making sure people have an outlet. I don't think Carmel is any less safe than it ever was, but I do think that mental health is more rampant, which can have a direct, you know, relationship with maybe harm or, you know, outbursts. Thinking about Carmel, it was a tremendous experience. You know, it sounds like I'm complaining about it, but it's a unique experience growing up in a place like Carmel because we were sort of in a bubble. Uh, where the outside was maybe a little different than what we dealt with. And we grew up in a time where Barack Obama was becoming president. It was a time where things are changing and there's even more change post Obama. But um, what factors do you think have led to the stigma about mental health and and getting help? Because I think a lot of it has to do with like this toxic masculinity. We talk about that a lot on the other show that, it's okay to ask for help, but it's, it's taking that first step and being vulnerable to needing help. That's important. Yeah. And like, you know, kudos to you for even being able to like, as a white, you know, presenting at least, I'm not sure if you have, um, are are you fully white? Yeah. I'm Caucasian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as like a white, you know, uh, male, you know, I, I admire your ability to recognize how toxic masculinity may play into culture. Um, I, I do think that's part of the problem. I think inherently mental health has just been stigmatized um, throughout. You know, I don't think it was any less bad in our parents' generation, but I feel like it was something that they just didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Just like even when Barack Obama was president, we obviously still had racism and whatnot, but we right. weren't talking about it as much because it wasn't so obvious. Um, with our generation, millennials, Gen X, I think we're very much in tune with our our stuff. And because we're talking about it more, it seems more rampant. But to answer your question, what contributes to the stigma? I think a lot of just misconceptions about what therapy is, what kind of people go to therapy, right? You don't only go to therapy when you're in the middle of an emergency 
a lot of people, myself included, go to become a better person and figure out our career direction. And so um, I think a lot of misconceptions are really what contribute to that stigma. And just as far as your uh, profession and what you deal with day to day, do you specialize in something or is it something that kind of covers all bases? I mean, I'm not sure how you would try to narrow down that, that study. It seems pretty broad. Yeah, no, and it totally is broad. I think as I graduate, um, I would like to become sex therapy certified. So that is a certification um, to provide uh, sex education. There's a sex educator part of that. So my interest relies, uh, is very on around uh, sexual health, uh, gender and sex minorities, uh, sexual minorities. And so, but that being said, we're trained in a way where, you know, we're working with all sorts of different presenting concerns and populations. Uh, yeah. So hopefully the specialty will be something that comes out later, but for now I'm, I'm very interested in, in um, the relationships between, you know, sex and gender and all that. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah, that's, that's something that's ever changing and evolving, especially uh, in this country. And you know, one thing that uh, bothers me and it, it kind of allows for folks to be separated is we've become so used to brands in America. Like I'm a liberal, you're a conservative. You know, it's, it's almost as if we've created two separate football teams uh, in America. And during a pandemic, I would, I would expect us to be a little more united than what we are right now. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see the psyche of America change in real time, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's amazing how much it's actually changed and how little we're actually communicating amongst one another, you know, and we've already touched on it. I mean, the pandemic isn't helping that by any means either. Yeah. So. It, it's tough. I think, you know, challenging situations can bring out the best in people and it can also bring out the worst. Um, and, and think, you know, we, I think we saw that on January 6th of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that a complete reflection of the pandemic? No, but I think it, it, it's a response to, you know, the election and the pandemic and, and our yeah. state of the economy. So while I do think we've seen a lot of people act heroically during COVID, our nurses and people in direct care, I also yeah. think we've seen some uh, really scary behavior of you know fights at groceries and you know (laughs) so we've seen yeah and you know i i worked in um (laughs) the service industry before doing the podcast thing uh full-time trying to go into entertainment and i guess and you you've grown up with people from carmel and how they think how do we tap into the better angels of people because it's a it's kind of an angry tone right now um, and how do we raise the vibration while lowering the anger? <laughs> yeah, well, I think what's really important is that we're mindful of trying to not use the verbiage of like people from Carmel, right? Because right. I do think that we, you know, while there are trends in people from Carmel and people sure. from Indy and people from LA, I think we just have to be careful of blanket statement, you know, using those blanket statements, because I'm sure there are liberals that live in Carmel. um, And I'm sure there are really serious conservatives, Um, (laughs) you know, and so I think it's maybe less of a political thing and more of just how can we learn to listen to each other? How can how can we learn to understand that just because you don't have the same values as me, 
we don't have to yell each, at each other and tear each other down. And I've been guilty of this. I'm still working on managing my anger. And it's, it's hard when you're talking mm -hmm. with somebody, I'm thinking of like sexual orientation. I identify as a bisexual woman. And so when you're talking to somebody that's like, that yeah. totally invalidates your experience, mm -hmm. it's easy to get angry. Um, but I have to remind myself that, you know, anger may not be the best way to show this person that I can sit here and have a conversation. So it's tough. When did you discover that you were bi at the time? Oh God. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know if there was a particular moment or not. Um, yeah. I, elementary school probably. Okay. I had talked to somebody that was a model and uh, is also bi and he, he discovered it when he was in college and he was scared to admit this fact about himself because in your mind, it's almost like I'm risking this group of people. They're going to judge me based on this kind of character aspect. But did you face any kind of judgment from your friends? I feel like your friends, your true friends really show up when, when something like that gets revealed. Yeah. And, you know, just to speak on your friend who came out as bi, you know, I do think we have such a serious double standard right. in our country, at least about, you know, women can be bisexual, but men, they can't explore their sexuality, right? Like right. If, if you are bi, you know, you're inherently gay. That's what I've heard a lot of. And, and that's just simply not true. Um, and so it is hard for men that are, are experiencing that or, you know, non-binary folks who are exploring their sexuality. For me, the only issues I ever faced were actually at IUPUI. Mm, um, really? My first year in the dorm, I had multiple friends that told me they couldn't hang out with me because their boyfriends were uncomfortable with it, which I think says more about their boyfriends. Um, yeah. And, you know, was referred to as like the gay girl. And that was, that was hard. Right. That was hard. But when I moved to LA, I was like, oh, I'm part of the majority now. And I feel like LA really allowed me to fully embrace like my sexuality and just like my uniqueness. I've always dressed different and I've always been pretty loud and opinionated and <laughs> I've always put out. And in LA, I just fit right in. I didn't feel too much for like the first yeah. time in my life. And I don't, I don't know what it's like to, to be by or have that experience, but I do know what it's like to, to be the only person in a room with something, you know, like to have a walker, to have a walking aid and have to walk in confidently when you're, you're probably the only person in the room. So I, I can understand that a lot. And, um, you know, I, you, you know how I feel about you. You're one of the best souls that I know. So um, glad to have you on the show. But one thing that's helped me is journaling. Uh, writing down how I'm feeling at the time. And as a journalist, a guy that's trying to document what's happening, how much would you recommend journaling as a process of trying to get better with your mental health? Yeah, I think that's awesome. Journaling, um, I know there's apps. I know some people keep Word documents on their computer. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think it's great. I'm curious, uh, do you journal, you know, things that you're grateful for experiences like how do you, how do you use journaling well I mostly do it for my sub stack because that's a lot of like just thoughts that I want to get out anyway but one thing that I wrote about is just how lucky I've been in this experience that you know not everybody has a Carmel High School with a radio and tv station in high school to get to cut your teeth that early to grow up with both parents in the house to grow up with internet access in the house a full you know music studio to 
to learn the the beauty of music at a young age. Like, I think the things that I was around, they weren't commonplace everywhere else. So I'm, I'm just becoming more aware of that and trying to be thankful for the early experiences that have gotten me through the tough ones as I've gotten older, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, my journal, my journaling goes. Cause I, I've talked about my dad too, you know, he's, he's no longer here, but he couldn't fix my cerebral palsy, but he made everything else as best as he could to make an unfair world a little bit more fair. And that's what I hope this podcast does is it opens the eyes of people. Like there's a common person like Ari, who's following her dream and living her true self. You know, that's, that's kind of why you're on the show too. So <laughs> that's really sweet. And, and yet I also want to acknowledge I don't know how to say this. I don't know if I'm living my dream and living my true self. I mean, that it's right. such a, I think that statement inherently can be, oh my God, like, am I living my dream? Am I living my passion? Like, unless you're one of the few people like other who is so passionate and, and you're so passionate about things, sometimes you just do what you do and you just hope that things fall together. <laughs> And right. so um, I also want to speak to people that, that feel like. Oh, we're having a connection problem. Sorry, folks, for anyone listening. But um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And by, by saying that you live your dream and I, I think you're, you've always been somebody that's comfortable with yourself. Even if you weren't on the inside, from, from an outsider's perspective, you were always somebody that was comfortable with themselves and wasn't afraid to tell people how you felt <laughs> good, bad, or otherwise. So it's, it's something that stuck out to me as far as your parents and like the, the support that they gave you, have they been encouraging along the way or did they want you to do something that was kind of more practical? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they've been awesome. I mean, I think the truest example of that is letting my brother drop out of Carmel at a sophomore year. They trust us to make the right decisions. They helped me, um, you know, financially and emotionally when I was in LA for, for things when I needed help. I think they're happy that I'm pursuing, uh, you know, kind of this more, I don't want to say traditional route, but um, I think that at the end of the day, they just want me to be happy and be able to provide for myself financially. Right. And however I do that, even if I was serving, I think they would be proud. You know, yeah, it doesn't right. matter what you do. You just, just do it. What jobs did your parents do when you were growing up? Yeah. So my dad is a doctor. He is a okay. psychologist. Okay. And I actually, um, yeah, I recently about this week, I turned down an invitation for the doctoral program at Ball State. Um, oh. it, it's kind of a long story, but I had to come, you know, I talked to my AA sponsor. I'm also a recovering alcoholic. And I know that term is, is a really heavy term, but um, anyways, I was talking to them and kind of realized that my main motivation for pursuing a doctorate degree was to follow in my dad's footsteps. And while that's really beautiful, right. I'm a different person and I don't need to do that. So, um, you know, recently I've made the decision to, to stop and I'm okay to graduate with my master's. That's good enough. But he definitely has been an inspiration in the mental health field. Uh, he does a lot of really important work. And my mom is an executive at a healthcare uh, facility here in Indianapolis. She also does a lot of very important work. So they've always been very busy, but really supportive. Yeah. And, you know, you knew my dad. Uh, he was a musician and singer. So 
I didn't go quite <laughs> fully into the into the business that he did, but I, I don't think you can help but kind of gravitate toward your parents when they're in those professions and then you're like, hey, I'm used to this. You know, let's let's go ahead and pursue it full time for for my life. You know, it kind of does give you a guide as to what you're interested in. One thing that uh, since you mentioned you are a recovering uh, alcoholic, one show that I've been watching is uh, Dope Sick. And, you know, it blows my mind that you have people that are maybe working a job that isn't the best for their health, like working at a coal mine or something. But a lot of what addiction is, is like the deeper issues underneath alcoholism (laughs) to numb that problem. How do you try to heal folks that are dealing with those isms underneath their addiction? Yeah, that's a great question and yeah. totally impossible to answer in yeah. a sentence or two. But I, yeah. I would say you just you just start, you know, right. and you take it day by day. And um, you know, I think therapy, I know therapy is is such an incredible resource. I, I hope it becomes more available for people, um, more financially available. Um, but I think, yeah, exactly what you said, you know, right. uncovering some of the deeper stuff. Um, and seeing, you know, what am I trying to cover up by drinking or what am I trying to avoid by smoking a blunt? Uh, and, and sometimes for people, it, it's nothing. Um, but a lot of times it, it may be something. And so, um, yeah, I haven't seen Dope Sick, but I definitely have seen a lot more people choosing sobriety, right. um, which is which is really cool, in my opinion. I'm biased, but um, I, I do think it's really cool. I don't want to get too deep into it, but it just feeds like this system where you get addicted to something and then it becomes habit forming and then you get sick and, you know, they don't, they don't update the uh, environment either, you know, like that, the um, prescription medication problem is directly tied to the environmental problem. Cause if we had windmills instead of coal mines, people wouldn't need the prescription medication. So, you know, it goes a little deeper than that. Um, You know, one thing, too, that has really got me concerned for the future of our country is like the Internet's wonderful, but there's also dark parts of the Internet like QAnon and even Fox News, which is mainstream. Like there's a lot of brainwashing that's going on on either side that that gets people very biased in their opinions. And it's it's concerning for for the good of democracy in the future. I agree. And again, I think it's so important, like you know, I would consider myself a, a liberal for sure, but we see it a lot on um, CNN too. And so yeah. that's, what's really tough is like, where do you get reliable news anymore? That's <laughs> not biased. And it, it's, it's hard. And so I think media literacy is so important, you know, looking at what are, where is the website funded? Are they getting funding from a political party? Uh, I, I think right. you need to, it's kind of that thing where like, okay, if five websites are saying the same thing, Maybe you can take something <laughs> from it, but like right. one is saying something totally out of pocket and the other ones are not, you know, challenging that and, and being a critical viewer and trying to figure out what is legitimate and what may just be fabricated. Mm. Um, but I agree. It is so tough. Um, and yeah, the internet is a beautiful place and yet there are some terrible things that are exchanged on it. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, child trafficking, sex trafficking, 
I mean, there's so many things. And so how do we regulate that while also provide people freedom of the internet? And there's no easy answer for that. But I yeah. do think that we're going to see a lot of, we're going to have to work through that probably at a later date. Well, and to, to, to like relate it back to our high school experience, like I can remember signing up for Facebook as a freshman and it was kind of an innocent place. Like you could write any thought that you had at that time. Nobody would really judge you. Now, like the, you join the wrong group and the algorithm will take you down a path where, you know, you won't return. You won't be the same person. Like it, it's such a more dangerous place than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, I remember the AIM days. Did you have like an AIM account? No, my parents were deathly afraid of me having contact to a computer. It was, it was one of those situations. And yeah. Yeah, mine honestly probably should have been, but there was AIM and then there was Tumblr yeah. You know, we had all these other things, but, um, but yeah, Farmville, Facebook. that was one thing that I remember. <laughs> it was, was like, that? it was like the game where you were a farmer. It, it was very innocent and like, yeah. yeah, I don't know, but I'm saying it was a much like happier place. Now it's, now it's very gray and, and depressing, you know, it's intense. it is intense yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, and too, like, the social media thing has been passed on to to dating like relating to your to your specialty like i joined tinder in college it it, it ruined my self-value because you know you're swiping to the right or swiping to the left and it's it's like the quickest judgment you could possibly make on someone it's so hard because i do know people that it's like worked well with but i know like for myself like i felt the same way i was just like you know, you don't match the person or then you just get really nitpicky where you're like, I don't like his green hat. And so you switch and it's like, you can get so nitpicky, which just isn't how it is in the real world, you know? Right. Well, and I've noticed this with myself, like I'm trying to work on it, but like, I think we build up people in our mind because of their social media profile. And then when we meet them, like we're disappointed and then we'll just bail. I've fell victim to that and I've done it myself. Like that's a very common problem. I feel like amongst people our age. Yeah, I think I hear you on that. And I've heard that from other people as well. And you know, you just don't know what you're gonna get. You just hope right. and you hope people are authentic. Um, they're not always, but yeah I, yeah, I can see how that would be kind of a concern that you, you've experienced or a difficulty. Well, and um, you know, something else that I ran into just during my experience of dating is like I think ghosting is one of the rudest things you can do now no answer is an answer and most guys should be able to take a hint but if somebody texts you give them an answer you know like I think our communication has become so inhumane through through the years it's the easy way out right you know it is it, technology has allowed us to just kind of dip you in the back in the day you could not yeah. just dip you could but you'd be like hey i'm gonna go to the bathroom and then you just like leave um yeah. but now you know yeah you can and i've heard that can be really hard for people you know like not having closure or not having like okay that's okay that you're not interested in me but can you let me know like what about me you know what i mean like yeah. was it working for you um, but I think my number one advice to that is like, just really try not to take stuff personally, because I think we, you know, we have no idea what's going on in people's lives. And when somebody does something like ghost you, I think that says a lot more about them 
than it says about us. And I think it's hard to remember that, but I do think we have to try and remember that people are just going through their own life and yeah well and, and especially now i mean with a contagious disease that's still flaring like that that doesn't make it any easier and you've talked about yourself needing mental health services uh yeah. what's the process when you're looking at somebody that you might talk to what what factors are you looking for in a person that you're going to tell your thoughts to yeah uh insurance coverage <laughs> <laughs> yes i know that's number yeah. one and so right now, because I'm a student, I'm on Medicaid or Medicare. I always forget which one is for, um, not for older adults. It's for Medicare. Would be, Medicare. Yeah, yep. Right. So, and Medicare has been amazing for me in grad school. They've, they've really helped so much the healthy Indiana plan. So I recommend it if you are a grad student or just somebody kind of figuring out your footing, they, they are great. Um, so I know I just looked through there and said, who will take my insurance? And they did. And I think the number one thing we want in a therapist is somebody that's affirming and not enabling, right? So right. Uh, if you tell them about some things you've done that aren't great, they're not going to say, oh, good. Uh, but they're going to say, okay, I, I hear you. And I think empathy. And I think other than that, you know, our motto is to do no harm. So if all we do right. is sit and listen, sometimes just listening is what people need. But I think empathy for me and good active listening skills is, is really important. Well, and, you know, we, we talk about this on the other show a lot, that a lot of the absence of empathy in today's world, I think, and, and Noel thinks as well, that um, it has to do with our inability to connect with nature. We're not as connected with mm-hmm. nature as we once were. But I think being outside, even in temperatures like now during wintertime, you start to see that everything around you is working in concert. Why aren't we as human beings, you know? Wow. I need to take a second because I've never heard it conceptualized like that. And I think that's so, for lack of a better term, like deep and serious. And I think that is really true. Um, So I I have to think on that more. Uh, That's (laughs) a good insight. Food for thought for while you, uh, while I think of the next question. you know, Andrew Luck, I wanted to talk about him because he was yeah. a guy that we grew up with uh, and we expected him to still be here with, with the Colts. But um, I think he developed PTSD, like some some form of that with the amount of hits that he took. But I think it's a positive thing for a guy like Andrew Luck to say, hey, <laughs> I'm not playing anymore. I, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this. I think that's vitally important to other guys that were maybe too scared to walk away. Do you remember when that happened? Him retiring and everything? Oh, of course. And I can't speak to PTSD, but I do know a lot of, um, what was it? CT, traumatic brain, TBIs. TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, you know, from all the crashing. um, You know, there is so much research to back up the legitimacy of that. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, these are not players of a chessboard. These are human beings that are out on that field. And I, I was really disappointed, just kind of disturbed at people's responses to him putting, you know, to him leaving. I think it, it, it really showed a lot of selfishness, a lot of like possession for like, you are our player. You are not (laughs) a grown man. Like, you know, so I, I, I'm inspired by his actions. And I think that it does set 
a precedent for doing what you believe is right. But yeah, I, I'm so happy that he did that. And I hope it inspires other people to do the same if they need to. Yeah. Well, and another person after that, um, and it was even on a bigger stage, uh, Simone Biles went during the Olympics and said, Hey, I'm not able to compete as much as I want Simone Biles to compete because she's fun to watch. I don't really want someone to compete if they're not a hundred percent. So, you know, that was kind of another wall that was broken down by, by Simone, I think. I actually got the chills when you said her name um, because I remember seeing that. And again, it's so easy for people to bully. And, and it's so easy for people that have, that are sitting at their house with a bag of Cheetos and their feet up to say, get out there and go perform. You have no idea what kind of pressure these kids are. Right. You know, if she's under 18, even if she's 18, you're still a young adult. Like, if you don't know what that feels like, you have no rationale to be commenting on somebody else's decision. So that's just something that I, yeah, that I think. But yeah, she was also yeah. a beautiful example of, of, of setting boundaries for your mental health. Well, and, you know, one thing that I thought about with the, uh, with the pandemic, and it's, it's scary to think about it, but just, just hear me out here. You might marry somebody mm-hmm. and you're only going to see him eight to 12 hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go into a pandemic where, you're around them 24 hours a day, 24 seven. I think that caused a lot of people to reevaluate their decisions of, Hey, I don't want to be married to this person. Or, you know, I, hopefully you took it as I need to spend more time with my kids and, and work on this, this project. Cause it's, that's what it is. A partnership between two or more people. But um, I think a lot of what went on during the pandemic was a realization of maybe I needed to do more, self-reflection to get to a point where I'm better off for everyone around me. Yeah. And I can't, I can't speak to that just because I know I, I, my partner lives in India and I live in Muncie. And so, I mean, other than the times that we've had COVID and have, you know, isolated together, I mean, I see him maybe five hours a week, if, if that. And so I know I'd love to see him more. Um, but yeah, I could imagine that COVID, if you were living together and you, you know, especially during that five month lockdown, right? Yeah, that would be hard. Um, it would be, I don't know what, you know, and maybe people did reevaluate that, but I think, you know, maybe it served a reminder that our partners are part of our lives, but they're not our life. Right. Mm they can't be our only best friend and our therapist and our, you know, partner and, you know, your parents, kid. I mean, they're just a person. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one thing that they talk about in AA before you can take care of someone else, you have to be able to take care of yourself. And I think even if you weren't dealing with an addiction or something else, the pandemic gave people the time to work on themselves a little bit. You know, one thing too, that I've worked on and that I'm, that I've been aware of, it's not just the food you eat. How much does what we absorb impact what we're thinking about and how we're feeling? I think a lot. Yeah. Uh, but but I also say that knowing that I watch a lot of serial killer murder documentaries, right. <laughs> like I also acknowledge that, you know, um, that's my thing. But um, I think a lot uh, of it matters, right? Not that if you listen to Slipknot and wear black t-shirts, you're depressed, right? There's a lot of people that just love Slipknot and they are awesome and that's okay. But I do think we have to be mindful of of what we are consuming. 
what's coming to mind for me first and foremost is social media, like Instagram and influencers. And I know mm. a lot of young women, um, you know, it can be really easy to take in all of that and say, oh gosh, you know, I don't look like this or have this life. And so, you know, I'm not doing as well as I think I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, having music that you love, having shows that you love to watch, going places that fill you with joy, whether it's skiing or hiking or, you know, your grandmother's house, those are all important, you know? Yeah. I saw a post, um, might've been Jim Carrey. I, I forget who said it, but like, it pretty much said that I understand that there's mental health problems out there, but if you don't take the time to eat good food, sleep well, you know, like all the basic things that we can do under our own power, then you don't give yourself a fighting chance. I mean, how, how important is it to take those steps every day to take care of yourself so you're better for the future? So important. And, you know, that's why you hear a lot of the mind-body connection, right? Like you yeah. can go to therapy all day, but if you're eating McDonald's every day, every meal, you're not getting activity, uh, if you're able, um, you know, how you're able, those are going to impact you. If you're not sleeping, you know, those mm. eight to 10 hours, these are all important. And what's so mind blowing to me is that it's amazing how, if you change, you know, your eating and your sleep, how that can, before any medication or therapy that can mm. solve your problem right there. And so those are, they're very important to answer your question. One thing that I'm struggling with, cause I don't like winners here. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Uh, what are some ways that people can combat seasonal depression, like not having sunlight and stuff? Definitely. I mean, I'm not a licensed physician, but I do recommend um, vitamin D. Right. A lot of folks in the Midwest are vitamin D deficient. Um, and so, you know, talking to your doctor, your, you know, practitioner about, you know, what vitamins are good for me. Uh, I think being able to spend time with people that you care about is important. If you're able to get to a gym or even if you have a yoga mat at home and can stretch mm -hmm. out, make sure to move your body, even if it's indoors. And I'm trying to think and make sure you're sleeping and eating well. And I think if you can do those things, it doesn't take away from the fact that we're living in Indiana in the winter, but it, it can offset, <laughs> I think some of the isolation and coldness and moodiness that, that we right. do see so often. Well, and I don't know how many sessions you've conducted with patients or, or whatnot, but what does it feel like to you when you see somebody have a breakthrough or they, they get to the point where they're better? Like, and it's, it's always, you're always working on it, but as a professional, it would be rewarding to see the progress over time with people. Yeah. Um, I, and I think it's important to note that nine out of 10 times, it's my clients. It's just me asking the right question and they're having, I rarely am giving them the breakthrough. If ever, I truly believe, you know, better, you know, yourself way better than I could ever know you, but sometimes it just requires people asking us the right questions. And, and that's what therapists can do. All right, Ari, only a couple more questions here. Uh, as we look forward to 2022. It's been a challenging few years for a lot of people with what we've faced as a country and as a, as a world together. What are some steps that we all can take to, to have better mental health, I guess? I, that's a very broad question, but I feel like there are some answers we, we can all have <laughs> to that. Yeah, I think reading 
can be really beneficial. There's a lot of amazing books out there on how to be more empathetic with yourself, how to, you know, stop overthinking. So there's a lot of great bibliotherapy out there. And so I think for people that are interested in learning more about the brain or certain things that they're struggling with, that's a really great way to learn about it. I think making sure we're taking care of our bodies, right? So water and having fruits and vegetables and, you know, getting some exercise directly relates to mental health. And I think also understanding that we are in the midst of a pandemic still, and that it's, it's a weird time. I think just validating this is weird. Um, It's not preferred. And I think we're allowed to, you know, in some ways grieve the old normality that we experienced. And of course, staying connected, you know, it's very easy to get isolated right now. Stay connected, reach out to people. If you don't have people, try and look online for things you can join or, um, you know, ways to meet people, go to your local coffee shop and post up with a book and say hi to the person sitting next to you. Um, in some ways, I think we have to be more intentional about making friendships these days. And that can be really hard for folks that are more introverted. And yet there is no substitute for human connection. No amount of money, no amount of beauty can take the significance of connecting with another human being. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, one thing that's changed with me, I used to watch sports all the time. I don't as much because I realized I used to watch him with my dad. You know, it was about spending time with my dad. It wasn't about the result of the game, you know, and I think we need to realize that it's not about the event you're going to. It's the memories you create with people. And um, I'm really glad that you were on the show today. Uh, How can folks reach out and connect with you, Ari, if they're interested in talking with you? Yes. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, My Instagram is Ariana Lynn, uh, A-R-I-A-N-A-L-Y-N. And I'm not on Facebook because I couldn't, I couldn't do all the Facebook drama. So you can't find me on Facebook, Um, but please feel free to message me on Instagram. And, you know, Jimmy, thank you so much for offering the space to talk about this really important stuff. And I just love what you're doing with these interviews. Uh, You've always been just a great guy. And so I'm not surprised that you're doing this, but thanks again for reaching out. Hey. Much love to you. And folks, to hear this again, you can check out my website, jbkonair.com, and subscribe to the podcast by searching JBK On Air. Until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow.